when you include young people in productive dialogue, it can change the tone of the conversation. What young people are requesting creates a community that I as an adult want to live in. And I don't think I was even aware of this before. They raised my consciousness on it. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is a conversation with Mara Minza, Executive Director and Co-Founder at Growing Up Boulder. This is an initiative that includes children and young people in designing thriving urban spaces. Hello, Mara. Hello, Magda. So nice to be here with you. To break the ice, as you know, what we try to do to understand and picture where you are. I normally start by asking about a place that you like to visit near where you live. Well, I'm actually sitting in that place as we speak. So since we're over the radio or over podcast, let me describe it to you. I am at the Boulder Public Library, which is in the civic area of our downtown. And it's you know, there's the public library space, but outdoors, there's a boulder creek that runs through it, natural space, a children's play area. And that area was actually co-designed with 225 children and youth from our community. And so when I walk around this area every day at work, I think about how young people made this the amazing space that it is. And now here I am benefiting from it eight years after they gave their input. And it actually brings tears to my eyes every time that I think about that. So this is precisely what we are here to talk about, to understand about your story and how come you actually decided to include young people. That is just um, so, so nice. So tell us a little bit about your story, please, Mara. Sure. So uh, my whole career has been running programs for underserved children and youth. And I did that in New York City and in California. Um, and then I moved to Colorado in 2008. And I met some professors who were trying to start what's called a child-friendly city initiative in Boulder. Well, they were trying to start it. They had started it in Denver. And I'd never heard of what a child-friendly city initiative was. I, I, but I, when I learned the idea that you're taking these ideas of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child and implementing these, these rights in local communities, I said, can I do that for our city of Boulder? Now, I had a personal and a professional interest in that. Personally, I had a one-year-old child at the time. And professionally, my whole career was dedicated to young people and they said, sure, go for it. We have no money. You are welcome to volunteer your time and start a program like that in Boulder. And over the course of 12 years, we now you know, have paid positions um, and we are running this and implementing it. And 
every year it gets even better and more impactful. And I feel grateful every day to get to do this work with our young people. Now, this is absolutely amazing. So what is your background? I mean, what actually took you to look into improving cities for young people and considering their thoughts? Sure. Um, you know, my background is um, my undergraduate degree was in psychology and I got a master's degree in organizational psychology. So how to make organizations function more effectively, function at their best. But my practical experience in the work world had always been designing and then implementing programs like Head Start, Early Head Start, um, programs for neighborhood improvement with families um, in the community that I lived in, and putting support services on a low-income school campus in California, and really making sure that parent and youth voice were at the center of that. When I look at the common thread throughout my career, it's been community engagement, listening to the people who are most affected by whatever changes are made, and really valuing what they have to say and believing in them to make better communities for all of us. And so um, that really led me to where I am today. How, how fantastic. And one thing is to work with adults, which is difficult enough to engage people uh, from an organizational perspective, and then to include young people. My word, how did that happen? How did that work? Yeah, so um, I did a lot of the work that we started here based on the work that the professors had done and the research that exists around participatory planning with young people. So I was based up until recently out of the University of Colorado's, well, it was the Children, Youth and Environment Center, which then became something called the Cedar Center. The names don't matter. What's important is it was dedicated to co-creating with young people. So I learned sort of those techniques from my colleagues there. And then as we went along, we looked at what's happening all over the world. I would go to conferences and take bits and pieces of what I learned from other cities and communities and really develop this amazing network of professionals and practitioners who are testing this out every day. One of the things that's exciting about this field is that we're constantly learning new things. We're never, you're never bored because there's always room for innovation and testing things out with our young people. Um, and so that's really how we got to where we are today. So what did that look like? Did you actually send an awful lot of emails and posters to people and say, hey, hello, we're gonna meet here at the library at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. Just join us and let's start drawing what we would like our town to look like. Is that what you did? Or you know, how did you approach that development, that engagement? Yes, yeah, so actually we do a little bit less of asking people to come to us and instead we go to them. Uh, we, we did this through trial and error. We started out by saying, hey, we're gonna have this meeting, kids show up here. And we found that we weren't getting a diverse group of young people. Um, so instead what we did is that we flipped it on its head and we ended up visiting young people in their classrooms and in their after school programs we co-created with their teachers and with their after-school you know, mentors, what should this design be like? So for instance, if I'm in a school classroom, I might bring in more of the traditional academics, like the kids might end up writing a persuasive essay 
to city council about their viewpoints because that's part of a third grade curriculum around persuasive essay writing. But if I'm in an after school program where kids really have been cooped up in school all day and they need to move more, well, we might create um, a resilience activity where we have a soccer ball and we throw that ball back and forth to kids. And when they catch it, they answer one of the things written on that ball, they answer a question about what resilience means to them, right? Making it very playful. And so we really adapt to different settings. Now, you had no budget. If you were a volunteer <laughs> and people were saying, oh yeah, come along. Well, it's very easy to say, just come along. But you know, you needed to develop a whole array of resources in your own time with people that perhaps you know, also were volunteers and you have to engage them and everybody is a bit pressed for time. So no budget. So tell us a little about that. It's a really good point, Magda. One of it, it is still continuing to be an issue. Our budget is very, very small. Our impact is huge. Um, I will say one of the ways we're able to leverage resources is we work with undergraduate and graduate students at the university. So they do internships under us and we also give them volunteer opportunities. And by doing that, we have these amazing young people contributing the lear their learning and their graphic design talents and um, sort of keeping us on our toes about the latest great practices in the fields of environmental design and education. Um, at the same time, we are, you know, we are understaffed and um, it is an ongoing struggle. I think one of the hard things, especially in the United States is we don't have a tradition or a history of children's rights or of even hearing from young people at all uh, versus a community, say in Europe, where I've seen many, many more examples of this. And so part of what we're doing at the same time that we're running the programs is trying to get the word out to the public about why this matters and why even if you don't have your own children, why this should matter to you. This isn't just about my biological children. This is about our community. Um, and so we're constantly trying to share that information with others. These are challenges that you have faced with the adults. And what kind of challenges do you actually face with the young people? So the young people are very clear. Um, they'll, they'll vote with their feet. The first meeting we ever had with young people, we were running in a more of a traditional adult style meeting, right? A, we had us adult at the front of the room talking to a group of 100 kids and they were, some were middle school students, some were high school. So, right, some were like 11 and others were 18. And after a few minutes of that, the high school kids got up and walked out. They didn't wanna be with the younger kids. They, at this point, they felt like, you know, why are we being treated the same way? And also the format was really boring for them. And so we learned really quickly that we can't, hold meetings the way we hold adult meetings. And in fact, the more I hold these interesting kid meetings where we're doing arts-based activities and we're moving our bodies, the more I think we should be holding our adult meetings that way too, because it's so much more interesting and engaging. Would you give us an example of actually changes that you have implemented? What did they look before and after? Yeah. So like I was mentioning, we do a lot of arts-based work. We get the kids out of the classroom too. So for example, um, when we were working on the civic area down where I work, we had the kids walk over to the space and use what we call photo frames. So they're, you know, they're rectangles that are maybe 
oh, I'm trying to put it into the metric system. It, it's, <laughs> it's like the size of a piece of paper. On the one side of the frame, it's green, and on the other side, it's red. And so the kids took photos through these frames to frame what they liked and what they didn't like about the space. And then we brought it back and really discussed it. And that discussion led to some of the feedback we were able to offer the community for how to redesign the space. Again, those were really creative ways of getting up and moving and having really important dialogues with our young people. And then you would take these designs to the urban planning team? I mean, how does that work? Because then the county council is going to say, well, thank you, Mara, but, uh, you know, that's a kiddie thing. Why should I change what the park or the library or whatever public space? Absolutely. Uh, So what we do is this is one of our expert things. I like to say we are translators between kid and adult. And what we've learned to do is kind of create simple reports that can document the main themes, the main ideas that come out of what the kids are asking for. And then we give specific examples too. So we're both giving the general things that we've heard over and over again. So for instance, one of the themes that we hear on every single engagement, and I've heard that this is a a worldwide child request, is water play. Young people love to play in the water, with water in all different ways. So we heard that here. That was the theme. But then we would also give an example. So we might include a photograph of a 3D model of a fountain that a kid made. And then we would label that at the bottom so that the adult or whomever's looking at it could fully understand it. And so we're offering different levels of granularity for the reader and they can use it then, you know, when they compile their larger report to city council. Um, We've heard back many times from our city staff partners that These reports are extremely useful. Um, It actually has changed policies thanks to what young people have said. It has balanced out user requests with the adult users, and it really creates a more equitable community um, for our public spaces and policies. Well, I think we should use much more items like that in our bids and our communication with county. So would you share three things that you have learned from working in this type of initiative? First of all, when you include young people in productive dialogue, it can change the tone of the conversation. I have literally seen an issue that was stuck for many years. There was an impasse over a public space in in our town and the senior citizens who lived in a retirement community really adamantly wanted one thing and the city wanted to do something else. When we got elementary school children's input and middle school children's input, and then had the young people, because they'd spent a whole semester thinking about this, so they were extremely well-informed. When they went face-to-face with the senior citizens and sat down and looked in each other's eyes and had a dialogue, it shifted the whole situation. It went from contentious and angry to curious and excited. And together, they were actually able to make changes that both groups could agree upon, And when we had a giant flood in our city in 2013, thanks to that intergenerational dialogue that we had had, our young people were able to help the seniors in their community. They rallied around and provided support, and it was incredible. So it was a lasting, it wasn't just for that project. So that's one thing uh, that has surprised me beautifully. Another is how much um, what young people are requesting 
creates a community that I as an adult want to live in. And I don't think I was even aware of this before. They, they, they raised my consciousness on it. What they are requesting is very green, you know, very nature-filled spaces right where they lived. And they're asking for places that they can get to on their own through biking or busing or walking. So, right, that's also what I want. And I've tried living in suburbia and I've tried living in more dense areas where I can walk. And I realized how much happier I was when I didn't have to rely upon a car. And kids helped me see that. A third piece is um, just how many unsung heroes there are in this work all over the world. And it ranges from, I, I get emails and, and letters all the time from people around the world asking how to do this. It ranges from hearing from a 14-year-old in Utah saying, I thought I was the only one who cared about this and you let me know I wasn't alone. I, I didn't know that there was even a word for child-friendly cities to hearing from a professor in Sri Lanka who said, how do I include this in the urban planning graduate school program here? This is really important. And I feel honored to work alongside these people every single day. And you have put all of this into your book, isn't it? Tell us about your book, please. Yes. So the book is called Placemaking with Children and Youth participatory practices for planning sustainable communities. It's a long title, but all those words are actually really key parts of it because the outcomes of this work really are more sustainable, more green um, cities for all of us. So the lead authors on that are professors Victoria Durr and Professor Louise Chawla. Um, Louise helped start Growing Up Boulder with me and Tori or Victoria actually helped run Growing Up Boulder for several years. And together we created this book that not only documents what we've done, but it looks at examples from around the world. I always want to let people know it's sort of, it's everything from a theoretical framework for how to do this work down to like the very specifics, like what materials do you need for that photo frame activity? And a lot of the materials are very low cost or recycled because we take again, examples from places that may not have a lot of money and have been really creative in their resources. So we designed that book because we get so many requests for how can we do this in our city? We wanted other people to be empowered to do this work. So I really encourage you to check out that book and, um, and let us know how you use it. I love hearing those stories. And what is really nice is that uh, one thing is of course to do it in Boulder, Colorado in the US, but to know that actually there are people that are wanting to implement something similar or adapt it to their own needs. I mean, that is proper collaboration and co-creation. You must feel so proud about that. I love it. I mean, one of the things that just brought me so much joy was I was reading an article and I saw um, a group in India was using the photo framing activity that we had. And now we didn't develop the original, original idea, but we did adapt it over time. So originally it was an orange frame and it was used for a different purpose. But when I saw the photo, I saw they were using the, the red and green frames. And so I, I actually contacted them and I said, I'm just curious, like, is this based on our work? And sure enough, it was, it had come out of our book and our other examples. And so to me, that was so exciting because it's achieving its purpose. And there was another piece I was going to share with you. You know, people can get intimidated because they say, well, how are you doing this huge program? Um, or Boulder's a rich city. How can we implement this where we are? You know, most of my career has not been working in well-funded places. 
and working with lots of different challenges. But the approach we take, I feel like is universal because it builds on the lived experience of that community. And it honors the assets that they have. And it works very creatively with basic parts of human nature, like the need to be creative and the need to give input and shape the world around you. So that's why I believe that it can work in any setting truly. Yes, and certainly we do need to listen to young people more and to everyone in the community, isn't it? We cannot just define that it is between this age and that age that we can actually have some input in how we actually build our cities. Absolutely. And, and just as children go to school every day because we think that they need to be learning certain skill sets for when they grow up, well, why wouldn't they need to learn how to be engaged citizens? And in fact, why do we need to wait until they're 18 for their ideas to matter? I think there's a lot of value they can give us now. And actually, we're, we're really missing out when we're not hearing from them. I mean, just as we would want people on the other end of the age spectrum, I would always want to say my grandmother has so much wisdom and knowledge to share. I should be hearing from her too. So why wouldn't I want to hear from the young person who has a very different experience from what I might have as an adult? Uh, totally. And anything else that you would like to share with people that are listening to us? Just feel free to check out our website, which is growingupboulder.org. We try and keep every report we've ever written up there and a description of every project. So you can search for it based on whatever you're looking to do in your community. And I think the last thing I'd like to leave everyone with is you can start small. Don't be intimidated. Just start small. Do what speaks to your heart and listen to others in the community. We started very small um, and it's taken many years to get where we are today, but uh, it, it completely pays off and it's worth it. And what is next for Mara Minzer and Growing Up Boulder? Yes, yeah, so we are actually hoping to start an institute on child-friendly cities. We want to be able to help other communities learn how to do this work based on both everything we've learned and all the research that we've done, as well as the amazing network of experts that we have. But then finally, we want to bring people together who are trying to do this work and have them share with each other and really create a learning cohort together. And so that is the next step of where we're going. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. Thanks for joining. And if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being, developed in partnership with SIWEM, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management, at SIWEM.org.